word. I'm going to say the word. In the beginning was the word. What? Word. 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 Was the word. From the studios of KJZZ in Tempe, Arizona, welcome to Word, a podcast about the literary arts in the state and the region. Here's your host, Tom Maxidon. Coming up on Word, it's NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And Valley writers are trying to hit the magic mark of 50,000 words by November 30th as part of the signature fiction writing contest, now 20 years running. I am by nature a very analytical person, and I think I apply that to both areas. Also, I find IT work is, you know, very much as inspires me to write horror. Plus, we take a trip to Burton Bar Public Library in Phoenix for the recent second annual Just Read Local Author Fair that took place November 2nd, where nearly 70 Valley writers set up to exhibit their books. I was uh, on my way to getting a teaching certificate and had just completed that coursework when the books kind of took off. But first, my colleague Lauren Gilger, co-host of the show, which airs weekdays from 9 to 11 on KJZZ, sat down recently with Brandy Stewart. Brandy is the children's book buyer at Changing Hands Bookstore. But the book they discussed as part of a new recurring segment called Page Turner isn't necessarily for children. It's called The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern and is her sophomore novel. Her first... The Night Circus was a byproduct of NaNoWriMo. Lauren began by asking Brandy about the plot of The Starless Sea. Ultimately, it's about storytelling and time and fate and a little bit of video games. It's about a guy named Zachary Ezra Rollins who finds a book in a library, and when he reads it, he finds out it's about him. So he does some research, gets pulled into a world of underground stories and libraries and bees and there's honey and lots of snow so lots of fun little like (laughs) tidbits in it to latch on to so fiction for sure but it sounds almost fantasy it is a bit fantasy mixed in um the thing i like about aaron morgenstern is her imagination is so vivid that you just kind of want to immerse yourself into it and she's able to somehow i don't know how through the magic of words put it on paper to invite you in and she she just makes you keep wanting to read and never put the book down. Um, <laughs> so when I read this one, and I was so charmed by it, I was really excited because it's the same feeling I got when I read The Night Circus, but the books are so different from each other. So I just kind of think anyone who loved The Night Circus is not going to be disappointed by this one. Interesting. Okay, so tell us a little bit about this author. What's her background? Erin Morgan Stern. Uh, she started writing in 2003 for NaNoWriMo. Um, If you don't know what that is, that's the National Novel Writing Month. It happens in November. Anyway, she got involved and started writing in 2003 with it. And then she kind of fell into, for the Night Circus in 2005, she started writing about a circus story. And then it evolved into what we know now as the Night Circus. So she's not someone who writes every day. She describes herself as a binge writer, where she just sits down and just starts writing all at once. Um, so <laughs> so what is it about her writing that kind of speaks to you? What do you love about her style? Well, I, I love fantasy. Yeah. Um, so it has some of those elements, but it's not like with dragons and wizards and all that. Um, but there's a magic quality to the way she writes. And I like being able to escape into a book. 
That is my criteria for almost every book I read. If it can make me feel like I'm actually in it, then I'm going to want to continue reading it. And so I think with her use of language and the fact that she makes the setting just as interesting as the characters, Mm -hmm. she gives you a place to live in her story. So you feel like completely immersed in these stories when you read them? Absolutely. Is there a moment in this you can describe for us like a scene or something that really just like captured your imagination and you you couldn't stop thinking about after you read it? Yes. Um, In fact, actually, the two opening chapters in The Starless Sea still are like stuck with me. Um, In the first chapter, she opens with a pirate who is in, he's he's a metaphorical pirate, but he's also a pirate. (laughs) And he's been jailed for a number of piratey altercations. And he is served food by this silent girl. And they get to know each other over time, and he tells her stories, and she helps him escape. And so you get really involved in that story. Mm. But then in the second chapter, it changes to where the Starless Sea is um, and this underground library and all these people who protect stories. So it's it's a little bit meta there, right? Like this is a a book about stories. Yeah, it's stories within stories within stories, and it just keeps going. And you can hear the full interview with Lauren Gilger by going to the show. .kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. I'm Jay Ellison, producer of The Moth Radio Hour, and I hope you'll join us for our show here on KJZZ with true personal stories told live without notes to standing room crowds around the world. Moth shows are renowned for the range of human experience they reveal. Moth stories aren't part of the disposable daily information flow. They stick with you. The Moth Radio Hour airs Saturday at 3 on KJZZ. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. By now, many writers around the state are thousands of words into the novels they began November 1st. Some, like Mesa resident Kristen Shum, even host events to help encourage fellow NaNoWriMo participants to hit their goal. 50,000 words in a month. I caught up with Kristen recently at the KJZZ Studios in Tempe and began by asking what the annual contest has taught her about herself. You know, it taught me a lot of great things about writing. Um, The thing that, you know, I'd never finished a book before um, that. And the thing that it taught me was that I can't go back. You can't look backwards to finish a book. If you're always looking back and editing and, you know, questioning what you're doing, you, you don't finish. And so Nano is the, that pressure and that deadline gives you that force and that push forward to keep going. Were you a writer as a young child? Did you keep journals, diaries, that kind of thing? You know, I always wanted to write. Um, I did. I actually wanted to write a play in the sixth grade. And, you know, I, I enjoyed in junior high, I wrote mostly poetry. And I think that, you know, through high school, I started writing more. And then I think after that, you know, I've been writing more and more since. Do you enjoy a fiction more than any other literary genre, per se? I actually read a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. But I, I do read some fiction. I probably read predominantly horror and as far as the genres for Nano, do you try to stick to one, or are you kind of all over the map? Humor, comedy, uh, sci-fi? I like to incorporate comedy, but I do tend to write in either contemporary fiction or horror. 
Tell me about some of the uh, processes that you use to work on, for instance, things like character and setting, and how do you figure out how's this character going to speak versus how this character speaks, maybe? I don't know that I put a lot of thought into it. I think that I instinctively, I kind of identify them with people. You know, I think that a lot of writers identify the main character as with themselves, and so they have that voice. And I tend to link characters to either people I've known or actors or characters, and I kind of have their voice or I think of that person and how they react and respond and talk. And so I just, I use memory mostly. Tell me a little bit about your writing process. Some people just sort of fly by the seat of their pants, if you will. They don't really plan. Uh, they don't make an outline. It's it's just for them trying to get words on the page, and then they'll go back and make one huge edit, for instance. What is your writing process like? It works better for me to outline, um, you know, and we do talk a lot about plotting during October. I like... Um, a lot of different plotting methods. They tend to read pl- books about plotting as well. So I prefer to plan what I'm doing. I've, I've joked that I'm a plantser, somewhere between a plotter <laughs> and a pantser. Right. Because, uh, you know, you do have to have flexibility. Right. Because things change and you have to adapt and you realize when you get there, things don't work. You know, that's one of the things that I'm finding out by talking with folks who um, have been involved in nano is there is a, a whole jargon and a lingo connected to folks uh, that folks use um, connected to nano. Um, I didn't know what a pantser was until very recently when I talked to someone else. Um, and that is you fly by the seat of your pants, as the uh, sound of the name implies. But are there some general techniques that you think are helpful to propel people through a month of writing because I think uh, when you work it out, it's close to 1,700 words a day, isn't it, to get to that magical 50,000 at the end of the month? It's 1667. Yeah. 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 Just don't hit your delete button. Don't hit backspace. <laughs> you know, I, I keep the motion forward. Keep huh? the motion forward. You know, I'm like, if you're not going to use it and you know it's bad, you know, don't delete it. You know, I highlight it, use strike through, and then just keep going. What are some of the motivators for you, aside from the obvious, which is deadline pressure? How do you kind of keep your spirits up and keep your momentum going? Caffeine, sugar. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's great. It's the energy of the group because I do somewhere between two to three events a week. And we meet in person. And, you know, we do uh, writing. You know, we call them word wars where we do a timed writing sprint and, you know, whoever writes the most words in that 10 or 15 minutes gets a little prize. And, and I think it's those, those sprints and the energy of the group and the excitement of the group that really energizes me and gets me, you know, always still excited about it every year. And we should say this is all voluntary, right? You do this out of the love of your heart and community. Yes. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask what's your day job? I'm an IT engineer. Okay. Is there any correlation between being an IT engineer and how that might carry over to nano at all? Are the two fields completely separate? You know, I think there's planning involved. Um, I think there's organization. And I am, by nature, a very analytical person, and I think I apply that to both areas. And also, I find IT work is, you know, very much as inspires me to write horror. How so? That's interesting (laughs) you would say that. Um, you know, different experiences of different jobs I've had. I've worked help desk jobs. Those are terrifying. 
um, customer service in general, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, and I, my story that I'm doing this year is actually inspired by a building um, that I had worked at briefly in Phoenix that I had to visit to go into a data center and rotate tapes on a graveyard shift. And so I, I kind of use that as part of my inspiration. The goal, obviously, is to get to that magical 50,000 mark. Have you been able to do that every single year? I have. It has not been easy the majority of the years. Uh-huh. Yes. And has your goal been to actually get a work of fiction published, or is this more of a, a personal thing for you? I think it's a little bit of both. I do uh-huh. find personal fulfillment from, you know, developing a story and writing it. And I think there's catharsis in in fiction. I do want to be published, and I'm working towards that. How many days a week do you meet with groups? You said a couple, three times a week, huh? It depends on the week, but yeah, uh-huh. generally two to three, I'm there in person. And this is all throughout the year, or you just kind of micro-focus on the fall? Mostly on the fall. I do um, in October. I call it Plottober. Uh-huh. Um, we meet once a week and we talk about different plotting methods and then all through November. As far as some of the folks that you have helped coach through this process, if you will, I'll call you a coach if you don't mind. What are the types of things that maybe you could share with us a personal story of something that has really been a breakthrough for somebody that maybe they didn't think that they could accomplish or just something that uh, you taught them that helped them succeed, make that 50,000 word count? You know, I think the Plottober events that we hold are very helpful, and I'm. it's always rewarding to me when we're talking about a plotting method and I hear someone go, you know, have that aha moment that, yes, I got it. I also do pep talks. It's one of my duties as a volunteer is that I write pep talks every week and send them out to the region and cheer people on. I know that I can speak to my challenges that I've had because even though I do this, and I've, this is my sixth year, last year was probably my hardest year. And why was that? Sometimes I take time off at the end of November as a cushion, and it's always a mistake for me. (laughs) (laughs) Because then at the beginning of the month, I'm like, oh, I have time, I have time. And it's, you know, it's always better to, you know, stay on pace. So one of my biggest strategies is to stay on pace. Last year, I was very behind towards the end of the month, and I was 13,000 words behind on the last day of NaNo. Wow. That's incredible. And you managed to close the gap, though, huh? Yeah, I had to do 5,000 through dictation, and the rest I did keyboard. Let me ask you about that. It's a very interesting technique. Do you find uh, that it's easier to get the word counts by doing dictation and and then, you know, transcribing that dictation, if you will? Um, Well, I used a software program, so it transcribed Uh for me. It's can be a little frustrating, but, you know, it does work really well. And especially if you've been writing 50,000 words on a keyboard throughout the month, sometimes you just need to give your hands a break. And that's one of the best reasons to use it. Right, right, right. And I've talked to some people who use a little recorder on their phone and they make messages as they're driving or something like that, you know, hands-free, of course. But because they have a day job and they're busy uh, doing their day job, but those little memos they can kind of come back to and, and maybe those are plot starters or samples of dialogue or elements of characterization, something like that that they can get back to and, and get that into the manuscript. What are your long-range goals then? You mentioned publication as one of them. Do you see yourself doing this uh, far into the future? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, it's something that I enjoy personally. So I, 
it's something that I plan to keep doing. What's the significance of the Viking helmet, which is, um, I don't know if you want to call it the logo of NaNoWriMo, but uh, that's what I think of it as. Yeah, it is part of the logo. Um, it's something I think that was incorporated in the logo and then in the last 10 years, I think. I think it was, I think it was 2008. And I think it just kind of embodies the spirit of NaNo because it really kind of is this, you know, they like to say, you know, it's about writing with literary abandon. Right. And right. so it is, I think, this kind of, you know, just charge forward Right. mentality and I and so yeah I've adopted it too. It's like an extremely difficult slog rowing in a longboat, a Viking longboat for instance, <laughs> right? Crashing upon waves and uh, trying to make it to your destination which you know 30 days is not a lot and as we've illustrated it's nearly 1700 words a day. Kristen Shum, I want to thank you so much for coming to Word and talking to us about this exciting month of fiction writing NaNoWriMo. Thanks so much. Right, thank you for having me. And you can find out more about various NaNoWriMo events around the Valley by searching on social media for them or by going to our website, word.kjzz.org. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. Your mornings can define the rest of your entire day. Find the $5 you forgot about in your pocket. That might be a good day. Get stuck in a traffic mess on the 51, probably going to be a bad one. But when you begin your day with Morning Edition, you start fully awake with the latest and most important news to prepare you for whatever comes next. Take control of your day and listen to Morning Edition from 5 until 9 on KJZZ 91.5. Listen to KJZZ as you work and play around the house with your smart speaker. This is Ophira Eisenberg from Ask Me Another. Hey, I'm Alex and host of Reveal. I'm Glenn Washington. This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Bring the radio into your family room and never miss a minute of your favorite weekend shows. Just ask your smart speaker to play KJZZ and get a news update and weekend entertainment right at home. Just tell your smart speaker to play KJZZ. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. Originally from Pennsylvania, Teresa Monroe is a resident of Youngtown in the Northwest Valley. She moved to Arizona in 2006. That's about the time she got involved in NaNoWriMo. I caught up with Teresa recently at the KJZZ studios as well and began by asking her how she got involved in NaNoWriMo. I have a sister-in-law who has participated probably almost since the first year or two of it. And she's always saying, you have to do this, you have to do this, because we both read and like the same kind of things. And she's always giving me good books and never really steered me wrong. So it's like, okay, I will try <laughs> It's a really tough contest. Uh, 50,000 words, I think, is the yes. goal, right? Mm -hmm. In a 30 month. days, right. Yeah. And a busy month. Right. And so you can try and make a schedule and try and get X amount of words done in a day. But the fact of the matter is creativity doesn't really work like that, does it? Well, no, but neither does writing. Um, you know, when you set a goal for something, you can't always sit down and wait to feel like doing it. With Nano, 50,000 words in 30 days equals about 1,667 words a day. And I like to um, be a little ahead of myself, so in case something goes wrong, I have a bad day or can't write, I don't get too far behind. 
Now, as far as the topical nature, the genre, if you will, of what you've been writing in the past, have you explored kind of similar genres or have you gone all over the map? I um, started off with women's fiction and I pretty much stayed there. I have one manuscript I'm working on and I started in a nano quite a few years ago. And that might be somewhat suspense or thriller, but doesn't fall neatly into that genre if I was going to give it to an agent. But um, I like the uh, emotional growth aspect, the psychological aspect of that and women's fiction. So that's something I, uh, I, you know, I like researching it and I like developing the characters in that way. What are some of the things you do in your research process? Specifically, for instance, you mentioned character. How do you build good characters? They come to me, actually. The first time I sat down, I had no idea what I was writing. And I thought, okay, there's a name Lily that I like, and I always thought if I wrote a book, that would be the character's name. And so I kind of pulled a scenario out of my personal life at the time and kind of wove that into a book. And three days later, there is this actual book that is really bad. (laughs) But it was my first one, and I wrote a whole book. Were you surprised at yourself that you could actually get that done? Yeah, I was, because I was teaching at the time. But in another way, it was a a good relief from that, from all the tension and all the uh, um, intensity that every day in the classroom involved for me. And do you find that in a lot of the things that you write that you do draw from your own life as kind of a catalyst? I do. I think, um, you know, when you're in school and you study these novels and they say, well, this was going on in the writer's life at the time. I don't know if anybody if anybody ever studied my novels would, um, you know, put those two together, the different things. But I can see where I draw some ideas from and things that I'm working out as I write. With respect to things like setting and the theme, for instance, do you also try to draw on your own life for material there, or do you just take maybe a situation that you've had and put your creative hat on and go completely in a different direction, for instance? Kind of both. Um, the last book I published, Zook's Quarter, takes place in Lancaster County, where we lived before I moved here. The character comes from an old order Mennonite family. So I, um, you know, got to remember and think about all like the farms I visited and seeing the people in their buggies and just learning about that culture when I lived there. And so um, that was a lot of fun to research. Um, they're different from the Amish, so I had to, you know, find some other ways to research it, but um, it was fun to revisit that time in my life. And like my other books, it's kind of like like my trilogy is set in Los Angeles. And I was in Los Angeles for a couple of days, oh, maybe 40 years ago. <laughs> so, um, you know, thank God for Google Maps and everything right. like that. <laughs> right. Because you've been doing this for a while, you know as well as a lot of people that the market has changed in terms of maybe how you get publications in front of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would imagine that obviously one of the main reasons why people do participate in this NaNoWriMo is the hope that they will get published. Right. And some people do get published. Like the person, I forget his name, who wrote Crazy Rich Asians, he wrote that book during the NaNo. And there's lots of others now. When I first started, there weren't that many, but now lots of people get their start in nano. Of course, you have to revise it and everything right, after right. you throw it together in 30 days. And some people just write because they like to write. They have no intention of publishing. They just 
say this is a month I'm going to sit down and focus on doing what I like to do. Right, and it's an interesting community because there's social media sites that people belong to. That's how we discovered each other. Right. And whether or not someone really wants to make this kind of like their vocation is one thing, but just the act of building community through this once a month is something that w- that's pretty neat, and it's been going on for a number of years now. Yeah, Nano's 20 years old this year. Tell me a little bit about your writing process, because different people approach writing differently. Some people like to keep a journal, for instance, daily, and then they might take from that inspiration. Mm-hmm. Some people are really good at, you know, outlining every, right. you know, detail that's going to be before they start. Me. Okay. <laughs> I'm a pantser. I write by the seat of my pants. And it's a lot of fun when it comes to revising and putting the novel together. It can be really difficult and time-consuming, but that's what I enjoy doing. I wanted to write years ago, but in school you learn you have to outline. Right. And um, I tried that, and my brain just doesn't work that way. So my first Nana was really freeing for me because I just sat down and started writing, and some things that came out of me amazed me. Sometimes they scared me. But mostly, when I sit down and start a book, I have a general idea, maybe of the character or the cases of corner, the setting. I woke up one morning after having a dream of the first house we lived in when we moved to Lancaster County. I thought, okay, I want to write a book set in Lancaster County. And so I just took it. From there, I started, gave the character a name, came up. And as I wrote, just these different things about the character evolved. She told me about herself. And her love interest told me about himself. And I find that fascinating. Some people need to plot every chapter and every scene in the chapter. But that wouldn't work for me because it's just like putting my mind in a box. My mind doesn't like boxes. (laughs) Right. And it sounds to me like sort of the difference between going on vacation and having every single moment planned versus going on a vacation and being open and kind of inviting happenstance, for instance. I traveled a little bit before I got married to Europe for um, semester college. And I just loved the things that, you know, it wasn't really well planned. I just loved like the people I met and the places I went. And it was a lot of fun. And yeah, writing, my writing is a lot like that. I go places that a plot couldn't take me. Well, Teresa Monroe, who is participating in this year's NaNoWriMo all the month of November, we want to thank you so much for coming into the studios here in Tempe and being a guest for Word. Thanks. I love talking about my writing. Coming up, we'll take a trip to Burton Bar Public Library in Phoenix for a look back at the recent Just Read Local Author Fair that was held Saturday, November 2nd. I'm Tom Maxidon, and you're listening to Word. You know how a friend calls you to catch up and you talk about the weekend? You talk about work, family, maybe the TV show you've got to watch. By the time you hang up, you're filled in on the important news and maybe a little fun stuff as well. There's a lot going on. And All Things Considered is on when you need to hear a little bit of everything. It's this afternoon from 3 until 6 on KJZZ 91.5. KJZZ Spot 127 Youth Media Center is a qualifying charitable tax organization, which means that your contribution is eligible for a dollar-for-dollar credit on your Arizona taxes. Visit taxcredit.spot127.org today and support our award-winning students. Welcome back to Word. I'm Tom Maxidon. On Saturday, November 2nd, Burton Bar Public Library in Phoenix hosted a Just Read Local Author Fair. 
Jerry Ann Thacker is the Adult Services Coordinator for the library, and the event, now in its second year, was her brainchild. I caught up with her at the outset to ask why such an event is so important for the community. Well, we're in the book business, and without authors, we wouldn't have books. And so not only do we want to support our readers, we want to support our local authors, give them exposure, and hopefully provide new interests for people, find their new favorite author. Now, this, of course, is for the authors and for reading enthusiasts, but do you ever conduct workshops for folks who are interested in becoming one of these writers eventually, who are interested in exhibiting here eventually? Absolutely. And we're always looking for new authors who would like to conduct writing workshops. I've made several connections here, and I will definitely be calling them. I've told them that. I'm going to bother them. Um, But we, we definitely do. We host writing workshops. We host panel programs for authors. We host individual authors, fiction, nonfiction. We've had several poets recently that have have gone really well. So anything that we can do to promote and support the writing and reading community. Nearly 70 Arizona authors exhibited at the fair. Sherry Lopatin was the first that caught my eye due to the subject matter of her latest novel, The Apollo Illusion. It's a science fiction dystopia targeting children 15 and older. And it's about a future society's frightening over-dependence on technology. Wow, I think we can all relate to that. I mean, I'm sitting here with plenty of technology on on my own person. Uh, Obviously, we need some technology to conduct interviews, but uh, does everybody need to be on their smartphone 18 hours a day? I would say no. I'm a former newspaper reporter moved into communications and social media management, and a lot of that inspired what I was seeing for me to write this story. I really wanted to convey that message. You know, sometimes science fiction um, is really more... I might call it fantastical, but this seems to be really deeply rooted in the real world. One of the things that I personally love about science fiction is it looks at human problems often in a a different way and and to try and suggest solutions about it. What do you like about the sci-fi genre? For one, I really like the possibilities that it offers. I've always been more fascinated with science fiction dystopias. For example, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, 1984, by George Orwell. And I think I like how it makes us think about potential repercussions if we continue down certain trends or paths. It makes us really consider, should we continue this route? And a lot of that is what I was really trying to inspire, those types of questions with the Apollo illusion. But you mentioned two people that I think are on both sides of a very interesting dichotomy, and that is that Aldous Huxley believed that we would willingly do our own selves in through technology. You know, George Orwell thought that government was really going to be the harbinger of our own undoing. Do you fall on either side of that dichotomy? I think a little bit of both, more um, from what you brought up, a little bit more on the Aldous Huxley. I, I, I do really have concerns while technology, of course, can benefit us in many ways, but I do have concerns that it also can be on our, our undoing sociologically, economically, psychologically, and I think more on a societal level versus an individual level. But on the other hand, um, you know, I do reference actually 1984 in my book quite a few times, and there is a lot of concern not so much on government, but on control, control of information, and how does that affect our reality? You mentioned that this is a dystopic, and so I'm guessing no happy ending. I don't give away endings in interviews. And from science fiction to real science, there were plenty of nonfiction authors as well, like Matthew Brendan Wood. His table was decked out with books aimed at younger audiences, 
and displayed some NASA props, like a replica of a Saturn V rocket and the Columbia Space Shuttle, which burned up on reentry in 2003, killing all seven of its crew members. Wood has a degree in astronomy, and I found out he was a former teacher. So I taught for a long time, middle school, high school, adult. Um, and then over the years, I just realized I really like communicating science. So uh, I uh, started putting together an idea for a book. Um, and my first one was The Science of Science Fiction. And I kind of covered all of the science behind movies like Jurassic Park and Star Wars. We could actually clone a dinosaur. You could travel faster than the speed of light, that kind of thing. And it went from there. What first caught your eye as uh, maybe a young child about science? Um, how did you get become interested in it? I honestly think that my earliest memory is one of the first two or three space shuttle launches. I would have been like four or five years old. And I made my mother pull over to the side of the road so we could listen to it on the radio. And I just remember sitting in the car and, and thinking about it and then going back to my preschool and finding a book on the Apollo landings and just kind of looking at the pictures because I couldn't read yet. And it just fascinated me and that kind of stuck with me ever since. Is there an area of science that you like more than others? Obviously, you talked about you know, space as a younger person. Yeah, I've got to say astronomy, space science, that's, that's probably the most in interesting thing for me. I mean, I, I love all science, but that's, that's my top. We're in an interesting place in our history, and I don't want to get too political, but uh, what are some of your concerns about the scientific community maybe being taken seriously even at this point? It is a big concern. I mean, issues with climate change, uh, when you look at something where 99% of scientists agree that there's a human reason behind the climate change right now, and there's still a lot of people who just refuse to, to believe it and to look at the evidence. Um, and it's surprising when you've got a lot of people that support things like a space program and they you know, root for astronauts going back to the moon, but they can't get behind you know, all the scientific evidence behind climate change. So. You mentioned that you, you taught as well uh, the multiple age ranges. How impressed and emboldened were you by someone like Greta Thunberg, who's still a teenager in her own right, but who came out very hard against adults, you know, who, for whatever reason, don't necessarily believe in climate change. I think she's an inspiration. Um, just watching her at some of her protests and while she's at the UN, um, young people who are outspoken and passionate about science, whatever it is, if it's climate change, if it's space exploration, those are the people that are going to change the world. And uh, they're letting adults know, and it's amazing to watch. Going to space is certainly an adventure, to say the least. But when it comes to the fiction genre of action-adventure, Valley author Sean Ellis is prolific. He has several series, and we provided a link to his work on our website. I was curious how he became a full-time novelist and if he has ever participated in NaNoWriMo. I was going to get my degree in uh, natural resources policy. Uh, I did get my degree at, from Oregon State University and then um, didn't really find any work in that field. So I was uh, on my way to getting a teaching certificate and uh, had just completed that coursework when the books kind of took off and so I was able to make most of my living from writing now. I still am working in education but uh, writing is my first love. That's awesome. This is November, of course, and internationally, a lot of people are participating in the NaNoWriMo contest, the National Novel Writing Month. Have you ever participated in that? Not as part of the, the whole setup, I mean, because I'm always writing. So, yeah, I've got 
thing. I'm working on three books right now, kind of simultaneously. So trying to get one book in just one month would probably be a little restrictive for me. But um, I know lots of people who've done it, and it sounds like a great way to really kind of get out of your comfort zone and get started writing. The range of the crowd at the Just Read Local Author Fair was diverse and included casual readers, as well as those whose names we might find on a future novel, like Rika Duhamel, who has a full-ride scholarship to study creative writing at ASU next fall. I came here because I myself am an aspiring writer, and it was very interesting to hear that there was a, just an Arizona author fair here to come and see other people who are from here who have made it into publishing. So what are you hoping to learn specifically from them? Obviously, you've seen with your own eyes that, you know, this can be popular and there are a lot of people that do writing. Uh, what are you hoping to learn for yourself? Um, just about what it takes to become an author, as, like from the endurance to continue to push your own writing. And most of it's just I really like to read. What types of genres are you interested in? I love fantasy and Shortly after that, it tends to be historical fiction and memoirs. Do you think that those would be the types of genres that you would be interested in writing yourself? Definitely, yeah. You know, a lot of people this month, in the month of November, and every November, participate in an international contest. It's called NaNoWriMo. Have you heard of that? Yep. Have you ever done it before? This is my first year participating. Really? And so, how are you going to deal with the deadline pressure of getting 50,000 words completed in a month? Part of it's definitely attending the events at the library. Like every Saturday, libraries around Phoenix are holding write-ins towards like a two-hour session where everyone who's attending it can just show up and have a space to write. And so that's definitely going to help, especially with, you know, me having to do school as well as work alongside it. Right, right. It's a good point because a lot of folks here don't have the luxury of being full-time authors. They have a day job, if you will. What would sort of be the focus of what you're working on with the Nano Project? I don't have a specific project. The reason I'm participating this year is because I want to be able to set a goal for myself to just write consistently and to be able to show the people around me that I'm serious about my writing. Others who showed up by complete happenstance didn't know about the fair, but were pleasantly surprised, like Phil Chevalier and his daughter. We just happened to come here by accident. We just decided it's the first time both of us actually been to this library. We figured, let's go check it out. We came down here, I was like, well, there's an event going on. And we happened to see, I guess there's a book fair or a book theme going on, but it's, it's nice. Yeah, it's a pleasant surprise, and folks are always looking for things to do, obviously, with their kids on the weekends. But yeah, 69 Arizona-based authors, and so one of the things that some folks have told me that this shows them who are interested in being writers is that they can actually do this. Olivia, are you interested in being a writer at all, by chance? Um, I'm not sure yet. Um, I haven't figured out what I want to be when I'm older yet. Deborah Miranda was one of the many what I would call handlers who came to help authors set up and manage their booths. She's a poet and a sci-fi enthusiast. And I wanted to know what she liked about the genre of science fiction. You know, sci-fi fantasy, I think, together, they go really well. It just takes you to such a different alternate world. It's nice to step out of our constraints here in today's world. We're not held by any of those rules when you step into that different type of world. And they can bring up all kinds of issues and potentially predict maybe some issues that 
could be coming up uh, for us and our use of technology and how that plays into our society here. I've seen that too. Particularly like information overload, that's one of the things that I personally love about reading. You know, it's an escape from the day-to-day where we're just bombarded with information, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the, I think the one of the skills we have to do nowadays is like figure out how to sort through that and figure out what are credible resources and where you get your information from. Man, it's so, it's so complex. Are you a writer yourself? I am a poet, actually, but not published or anything. So it's just been something I've done. Okay, yeah, likewise. What do you like about poetry? I really enjoy the cadence, a lot of the cadences that you can get into. I think that's great. I think it's very interesting how you can play on words with it and how uh, you can use such visualization that you cannot use in everyday speech or even in novels. Where it's up for interpretation. Right, because one of the hallmarks of poetry is compaction. Ten different people could read the same poem, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It's just like art. It's an art piece. You take what you want from it. You get what you need. You know, you see what you want to see or however it's impacting you in that moment. So it's interesting. Former chiropractor Melissa Price gave up her medical practice to write fiction. Her career as a writer began with a simple writing exercise. I wanted to know how her past life in chiropractic has carried over into her present life as a full-time author. The experiences that I have had with people in my former profession as a doctor allowed me to gather so much information, very importantly, about what all people go through. And regardless how different people are, on a human level, we relate to so many of the same things. And I try to capture that in my novels. You know, I was talking to a university professor in Arizona many months ago, and she teaches a class on essentially teaching people who are going into the medical profession about the importance of the arts, not just literary arts, but arts in general. And the the idea is to develop empathy. You mentioned that you were formerly in, in medical practice. What was it that you did? Actually, my practice was as a board-certified chiropractic sports physician. So when people suffer physical injury, oftentimes they're taken to a level of having to examine other things. And they bring that to those who care for them. As a physician, it teaches you how to not just care for people, but care about them. When you're writing novels, it's not all that different because you have to really search deep inside your characters. More importantly, they have to search within themselves to find that better place, that higher self. And that's behind every story I write. You know, my characters, my main characters go down and then they come and rise. And that's the most beautiful awakening to experience especially as an author, because you may have in mind where you want the story to go. Your characters might have quite a different opinion. Absolutely, and I've talked to many authors who say that my characters talk to me, and I don't necessarily know where the arc of their being, if you will, is going, but I sort of find out through the process of writing. Tell me a little bit about these two books that I see here. One is entitled Steel Eyes. The other is Skin in the Game. Steel Eyes was the first. It's the story of the first 
anonymous woman rock guitar legend, and she's a spy. And the second book, Skin in the Game, is actually a midquel. It's a story that takes place within the stylized timeline. So they're romance and they're intrigue spy thrillers. Uh, and I noticed that a lot of people are really engaged in writing series, more so than I can ever remember in my lifetime, particularly at conferences that I go to like this. You know, as far as the series goes, do you enjoy drawing out what might have just been one particular storyline? Well, this one came organically, so I'm not sure how to answer that. In Steel Eyes, when you end part two of the book and you turn the page to part three, seven years have elapsed. And I always wondered what happened to my main character in that time. And so Skin in the Game became a snippet like three weeks during those seven years where we got to see more of the spy character than the romance story. It was great to see young children at the event, especially like Charles Fenderson and his son. What's your name? Kai. Hi, Kai. It's nice to meet you. My name is Tom. Are you having fun today? Yep. What do you enjoy so much about this? Books. <laughs> it's a great event for kids because you've got a mixture of young children's books, you've got young adult authors, and of course you've got uh, adult authors as well. Have you seen anything that uh, might be appropriate for Kai's age? How old is he, by the way? Uh, how old are you, Kai? I'm four. Yeah, um, I saw a couple of things um, we might check out. You know, he's going to be five December, so he's starting to read and he's starting to, you know, do some poems himself, you know. He's really? Like, Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, well, th there's this book um, we picked up. I think it was uh, Taya Lachey. It's called Fart Bubbles, and it's for little kids, and he wrote a little poem, you know, in there. We, we uh, sent it to her on Instagram, so I'm getting them into stuff like that. That's cool. Creativity is something that I think sometimes our society sort of doesn't make enough time for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean... When I was growing up, I wasn't really encouraged to do my own thing, uh, create, but I just kind of want that to be the, the case with him. I want him to be able to be creative and know that he can do his own thing. And because the event was held so close to Halloween, naturally, you'd expect to find some authors of horror. In fact, there were several, like Daryl Dawson. But what got him interested in the genre? I've been fascinated with it ever since I was very little. I used to watch a television show called Night Gallery when I was uh, very young. I saw it in uh, syndication. And, uh, and Rod Serling became uh, one of my biggest inspirations uh, as a writer. And I've been into, you know, horror movies. You know, I grew up in, in the 80s during that big stretch of horror slasher movies and whatnot. We're just past, obviously, Halloween. Everybody likes a good scare for the most part. But uh, what is it about a good scare for you that you enjoy? It's strange, but it seems like everybody enjoys that little fright. It makes them feel more like a human being, really. You know, you feel more alive. And that's the beauty of literature, right? I mean, no one is happy all the time. No one is sad all the time, hopefully. But it's to investigate sort of human choices and a range of human emotions, too. Oh, absolutely. And the thing about horror is that it also, you can... Uh, find a range of human em emotions too. There are funny horror stories, there are sad horror stories. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be all you know in your face. You know, it it can actually touch you in a in a certain way. So. 
Tell me a little bit about um, these books. Are they a series or are they separate stories? They're all separate stories. Uh, the first book I wrote back in 2009 is a collection of short stories, and there's just a hodgepodge of, of different you know, ideas and different uh, themes. If It Bleeds is a, a novella that I published in 2013, and it's rooted in my day job. I work as a video editor, and uh, this book is about a television news station that sends out subliminal messages that turns people into these ravenous, uh, cannibalistic creatures. And uh, So definitely drawing from some real activity, huh? Ab- absolutely, yes. And my latest book is called Death's Dreams. And the way I like to describe it is that, you know how you take your, your work home with you, you know, you, you work all day, you go home, you go to bed, you sleep at night, and you have dreams about your work? Well, imagine if you're the Grim Reaper, and you have, you know, you, you've experienced all manner of death in, in, in the course of harvesting souls, and the, the kind of dreams that the, the Grim Reaper has. Well, that's what this book is about. It's a, col- a second collection of short stories, and they're, you know, they follow along that theme of, of death and how we react to it, how it affects us, and so forth. You mentioned that you're a video editor. Does that play into how you deal with certain visualization techniques, uh, whether it be setting, um, even characterization, dialogue, for instance? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I kind of you know, picture each story as its own mini movie, you know, and how I want to pace it, how I want to, you know, how I want each scene to look and have that punch, you know, it definitely has an influence on on how I write. I closed out my afternoon by visiting briefly with Marcia Fine, whose historical novel Paper Children is based on her own life and her enthusiasm with science as a tool to explore trauma through writing. I'm very interested in epigenetics, which is the new science for the 21st century about how trauma affects us and in some ways can alter the genes, and that trauma can be passed down in families. The novel is rooted in her personal family history, reflected in nearly 100 World War II-era letters written in Polish and sent to her grandmother by other family members. They're the letters her family sent her when they were trapped in Warsaw. And you can even see the Nazi insignia on the outside of the envelope. And I have, oh, maybe a hundred letters that she saved. And that was just a bit of my day spent at the Read Local Author Fair at Burton Bar Public Library. You can find more information about NaNoWriMo connected events at word.kjzz.org. If you have a suggestion for a future show or just want to hear our archive, hit us up at the same site. I'm Tom Maxidon, and thanks for listening. Word. Word. Word, I'm going to say the word. 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 Word.